You're listening to the Tradecraft Podcast, brought to you by tradecraftshop.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Tradecraft Podcast. Following on from Ethical Consumer releasing their ethical guide to rice, we want to work out exactly what makes rice ethical in the first place. So we'll hear from Anna at Ethical Consumer and we'll give you a glimpse into the future of rice in Myanmar. We'll also look ahead to what the summer will look like at Tradecraft, a little thing we're calling Justice Matters. Uh, now, if you want to know about rice, people in Tradecraft will tell you one thing. Talk to Zenon. <laughs> and since we want to know about rice today, it's fortunate that Zenon Santana Delgado is with us today. Hello, Zenon. Hello, Abby. Hello. <laughs> My name is Abby Knowles, and completing our lineup today, we have a regular guest to the podcast, the delightful Caroline Harduck. Oh, thank you. Hello, Abby. Oh, Hello. <laughs> Actually, we're lucky to have Zenon here today because he seems to spend most of his time in exotic locations visiting our producers and providing whatever support is needed. And all that travelling actually leads me on to the theme of our opening question today. So, since it's that time of year where people are either frantically booking their summer holiday or they're looking forward to a trip they've already planned, hopefully, fingers crossed, <laughs> we've got a holiday-related question. So I want to know, uh, what is your top recommendation for an off-the-beaten-track holiday destination? The one thing we should all do while we're there. So um, it can be a place that you've been or a place on your bucket list, and there are bonus marks for an unusual or unexpected answer. So Zenon, what would you recommend? Where would you recommend, and what would you recommend us to do while we were there? Well, for an off-track um, traveling experience, I would yeah. suggest uh, Myanmar, oh, uh, formerly oh. called uh, Burma. Um, this is a country that um, is changing a lot in the last few years, and um, uh, where people uh, are, you could say, uh, full of hope right now that oh. there have been changes in the government. And um, it is a beautiful country, beautiful people. Uh, there are some really, really beautiful beaches, oh. uh, which have almost no no tourists there. Oh, amazing. Um, <laughs> Gapali and uh, Tosha, and I apologize if my pronunciation is not the correct one. <laughs> but uh, those beaches are, are fantastic. I have been able to visit one of them, and uh, it was an incredible wow. experience. And uh, and there are many other things to do to do in Burma. You can um, travel down the Irrawaddy in in uh, in um, a traditional kind of uh, uh, cruise, um, Ooh, going nice. to visit, uh, for example, the uh, old uh, you can say uh, kind of um, imperial city before uh, well until oh. the beginning of the 20th century, uh, Bagan. Uh, so a cruise from Mandalay. To Bagan, oh, or you can go up uh, to a high altitude in the northern part of the country. With There's the... loads of things. <laughs> <laughs> it's a place that has everything. Yeah, yeah. it really seems like it has everything. And it's got elephants. I feel like does Burma have elephants? It has. I made that up. It has got elephants, Ooh. yes, and, uh, and uh, including white elephants, which <gasps> are, are quite a special. Wow. I don't think I've ever seen one of those. No, no secret. My my holiday destination seems really stupid now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really does because that's like an amazing place. Well, it's not stupid. I was just going to mention um, I, a little while ago. I went to Dublin, and I did all the usual things when we go. Like you see the the storehouse and there's lots of castles and churches and lovely things like that. But whenever we go on holiday, we always try and 
find a weird museum <laughs> of some sort. Every city has them. Some are more wow. hidden than others. <laughs> and Dublin is just amazing for that. So I've learned all there is to know about leprechauns, for example, at the Leprechaun wow. Museum. There's <laughs> also an incredibly yes, dodgy enough. wax museum full of people that you've never seen before and so you don't really care about seeing the wax version. <laughs> a lot of them look more like me than the celebrity that they were supposed to do. But it's brilliant fun. So we always try and do that wherever we go, find some sort of alleyway museum. Good, yeah. Wow. These yeah. are all really good recommendations. I'm going to write all these down. And hopefully can go I'll write you a list of the museums. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. What was that, a Guinness one? Oh, well, the Guinness storehouse is like the most famous thing that you can do, I think, in Dublin. And that's like a really good place to go, mm. like really, really reputed. But the other places, mm, fun. <laughs> Quirky, uh, quirky fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing. <laughs> That's what we like, quirky what, fun. What was yours? Um, I uh, went to Nepal on holiday a couple of years ago, and that was that was quite amazing. So the whole yeah. trip was amazing. Um, but there was one thing that we didn't get a chance to do. So mine is the thing that I've not done yet, despite oh. the fact that I've actually been to Nepal. And it was, um, we did a little trek, but I thought what would have been really nice was if we had more time was to go up to a place called Muktanath which is an amazing name for a place. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of right in the in the mountains, right in a kind of, it's quite an inaccessible place to get to, but you can either fly mm. up there or you can walk up there. You can do a proper long trek. Mm. And it's a it's sacred um, to Buddhists and to Hindus. So it's a really, really interesting place. And it's got all of the kind of pagoda temples. And oh, it just looks kind of really otherworldly from all the photos. And I think it would be really, really amazing. Amazing walk as well, but an amazing sort of place to visit. Is so. it all still okay after the earthquake? I think all of year. that. I think all of that up yeah. there is is okay. Yeah. I think I hadn't heard. Yeah, of maybe it's a secluded place, but I'd yeah. love to go. I'd love yeah. to go in Nepal. Yeah, it'd be amazing. So yeah, that was my kind of on my bucket list. If we ever get to go back, that would be really amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, if you're feeling inspired to book up for somewhere exotic now that you've heard about our adventures, you should definitely check out our incredible Meet the People holidays. So they are ethical trips with a fair trade dimension. And if you're interested to find out more, visit tradecraft.co.uk slash MTP for more information. Oh, Caroline, I think that you might have some news for us. I do indeed, Abby. Well, the big news is that we're just days away from the launch of the Justice Matters campaign. And instead of just telling you the facts, I actually think the best way to introduce you to the campaign is to tell a bit of a story. So it's about a man called Felix, and the sounds that you're about to hear are taken directly from his village in Zambia. So hopefully that should set the scene a little bit. Felix lives in Zambia with his young family. They live next to one of Africa's largest copper smelting plants, which is owned by a UK company. His daughter Bertha is seven years old and suffers from breathing problems. These are made worse by the sulphur gas that's released from the plant. This gas is so much a part of their daily lives that the locals have a word for it, and they call it Senta. This is what Felix says. From when she was a baby, she had breathing problems. If the Senta comes when she's at school, she just starts coughing. She says, I feel my chest, I can't breathe, Dad. So I have to leave her in the house. I don't know how she'll get an education. Continues. We tell people, but nothing gets done. There are mine police at the gate. They would not allow you inside to complain, so we just complain from the outside. They just take the copper and leave. They do not care about us. I don't know why they don't care. 
So what do you think about that? That's really heartbreaking, isn't it? It's really hard to hear. It's horrible. I think it's awful when you hear kind of individual stories of real people's lives kind of being being changed like that it really brings it home I think children particularly you know you're developing so much as a child and to think you know it's damaging people from so early on it's just awful I mean the story itself is is awful I mean I I believe that uh, foreign direct uh, um, investments are really important in the developing world because Mm. they they transfer uh, knowledge they transfer technologies uh, provide employment um, and uh, pay their taxes if they do mm. things properly in those countries and all of those things are, are, are necessary and completely different to mm. uh, speculative financial capital that move around and uh, really do not really contribute much to the investment in those countries. But it is is, is bad when the, in, in some cases uh, companies uh, that invest in those countries do not really follow best best practices. Mm. Sounds like that's what's happening at this Totally. Mind, it totally does. I mean, well, the, the Justice Matters campaign is all about getting the government to change the rules so that UK companies will be forced to act honourably abroad. We want to make businesses into a positive force rather than a destructive one, which mm-hmm. they quite often are. Uh, as part of this, we're going to ask everybody to sign a petition calling on the government to hold UK companies to account for their actions abroad so that we can hopefully stop situations like that one that's happening in Zambia from happening. So all the people who are listening have to do really is visit tradecraft.co.uk after the 23rd of May and you can add your, your name to the petition and it's it's as simple as that really. It's easy, isn't it? Yeah, really easy. <laughs> I know, yeah. to make a real difference to, to people. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and obviously to find out more information as well, people can kind of go to that. Yeah, they can. They can read all about it. To our website and find out more. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you for that, Caroline. It's really hard stuff to hear, um, but we hope that you've been moved to get involved and to help end these abuses. Uh, we'll be back to talk ethical rice after this short break. You're listening to the Tradecraft podcast, brought to you by tradecraftshop.co.uk. Welcome back to the show. Recently, Ethical Consumer published a guide to ethical rice. It's a really useful resource when you're thinking about what products to buy. Our Robin reporter, John McNaughton, caught up with Anna from Ethical Consumer recently to find out how they go about deciding what's ethical and what's not. And just to let you know, our interview had a few technical problems, so just bear with us. Hi Anna, welcome to the Tradecraft Podcast. Thanks for stopping by to talk to us today. I wonder if you could just start by introducing yourself. Tell us a bit about you and a little bit about what you do. Okay, Um, so my name's Anna and I am a co-op member and I work as a writer researcher for Ethical Consumer. Um, For people who don't know, Ethical Consumer is a not-for-profit multi-stakeholder cooperative based in Manchester. And we conduct um, in-depth research about companies and their ethical practices and policies. Um, And we use that information to create resources such as our personalised ethics score tables um, that provide information for consumers or individuals to make informed choices about what they buy based on not only price, but a company's ethics to make sure that they're buying into a company that aligns with their own ethics, essentially. Okay, a, a not-for-profit multi-stakeholder cooperation was that was that what I had? That's a that's a bit of a mouthful, but you did well explaining that. <laughs> um, yeah, what I, what I'm really 
interested today is uh, the Ethical Consumer have recently published a guide to rice. And it's a really incredible piece of work. It's really detailed and gives really good information about the 20 best ethical rice brands. And what we'd love to know is how do you go about getting that information? What's the process? It must be a bit of a mammoth task. So essentially, we start off by scoping the market. So we look at market reports. We go to a variety of different shops from supermarkets to whole food shops to corner shops to see what people are selling. Um, and essentially, we rate companies over um, a range of areas, including environmental issues, um, issues relating to animal rights and animal welfare, we look at workers' rights within the company's supply chain and human rights, whether there are links to the military or any controversial activities. Um, we also look at political activities, whether they're involved in tax avoidance, uh, part of any corporate lobby groups. Um, and we essentially have a very, very detailed rating system. <laughs> yeah, it looks that way just from being on the website. It looks detailed. Yeah. So on the top 20 list, Tradecraft scored 13 points. And at the top of the list, they scored 15 points. So my question really is, what did Tradecraft do well? And what could we have done better to get that sort of two more points to get us up the top? Okay. Um, so Tradecraft is great because it's essentially a fair trade company. So uh, you almost exclusively sell fair trade certified products, which is... Um, great at ensuring that workers get paid a decent wage um, and because of this you also scored well within our supply chain management uh, rating. In terms of palm oil you also do really good work around uh, sourcing sustainable palm to your fair palm uh, program and um, so that was really good. Um, in terms of what you could have done better in regards to environmental reporting um, we we always look for an independently verified report, and at the moment, Tradecraft doesn't appear to make that public or publicly available. So we'd like Tradecraft to start um, looking into these sectors and seeing if you could offer more assurance that our products are coming from places where good practices are used. Great, great. Well, it's, it's sort of good yeah. to know that. It's good to have an action plan. And just a couple more questions before you go. Yeah. Um, I just wondered, looking to the future of Ethical Consumer, I wonder, are you guys working on anything right now? Uh, what, what are you excited about? What's the next big thing for Ethical Consumer? Okay, yeah. So at the moment, we're in the editing phase of the next magazine, which will be looking at ethical banking and finance. Um, which is, and we're throughout the whole of the issue, we're looking at the carbon divestment movement and which banks are essentially still investing in the worst forms of fossil fuel um, projects and also looking at who's starting to invest in alternatives um, and who's being part or starting to take part in um, the low carbon economy or pushing for the low carbon economy transition. And, and finally, if our supporters just want to find out more about Ethical Consumer, what, what should they do? How do they, how do they find you? Okay, yeah. 
So you can go to our website that contains a lot of information um, and the address for that is www.ethicalconsumer.org and if you want to find out more you can always ring us up and we'll be happy to chat to you about the work we do and answer any questions and you can also email us um, and all the information for that is on the website. Okay, brilliant. Well, thanks for stopping by to talk to us today, Anna. That's all right. Thank you. Also, that was um, Anna from Ethical Consumer. Um, they do with so much work. stuff, don't they? No, I'm completely overwhelmed by all the stuff that they do. I it's know. really interesting. I think it's always really encouraging to hear what somebody as respected as ethical, ethical consumer uh, has yeah. to say about our work as well. It's really interesting to kind of hear where... Where they think we're doing really well, like the farm one, and maybe yeah. we should improve. So really yeah. yeah, there's always room for improvement everywhere. Yeah, yeah. but we did really well to get in the, the top top ten, wasn't it? So well done, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so we've heard from Ethical Consumer, and now we want to get the trademark. Uh, so I've got some questions for you, Zenon, if that's all right. And um, as the trademark rice guru, <laughs> it would be great if you could maybe set the scene for us a little bit. Um, and give us a bit of an idea of what the problems are around um, around rice and for rice growers around the world, and why there seem to be so few uh, fair trade rice products available. Well, we're going to start um, thinking a little about rice, uh, and um, rice is one of the most important uh, staple food in the world. Um, approximately half of the world population that is around 3.5 billion people, mm. eat rice every day. Wow. And uh, <laughs> it, it is really important uh, together with um, uh, wheat uh, and, and maize. They are kind of a key uh, food staple. Um, so wow. that, that means that it's really important in terms of food security, uh, etc. And uh, the interesting about rice is that uh, uh, Almost 90% of it is produced in, in Asia, uh, and um, different to wheat and maize, um, uh, it is uh, produced by small and medium-sized uh, uh, farmers. Mm -hmm. um, so if you think about wheat uh, and maize, it is mainly produced uh, in highly mechanized uh, large plantations, and uh, rice is quite the opposite, so the majority yeah. of it is grown by small and medium-sized farmers. Uh, and um, now rice farmers have uh, many challenges. Um, uh, some of them are, for example, climate change. Uh, because if uh, you do not have uh, rain at the right time in the year, uh, mm. uh, if it is uh, too early or too late, that will create a lot of problems for, for uh, uh, farmers that are dealing with, with, with paddy fields. Um, there are many issues about um, access to finance for, for those for those farmers. Yes. Uh, issues about uh, they using the right type of seeds. Uh, they, there are uh, issues about um, the infrastructure to move the the, the paddy or the rice uh, mm -hmm. around. Uh, and um, uh, and well. There are issues about pest management and the right type of fertilizers, mm -hmm. the quality of the soil. <laughs> and in terms of fair trade, um, clearly it, the story is not the same as it is with uh, maybe coffee, mm. tea, uh, chocolates, uh, bananas, which are some of the key fair trade products. And uh, I believe that there are different reasons. One of them is that uh, uh, where the alternative uh, trade movement or what is 
currently the fair trade movement was born, that is in Europe yeah. and North America. Mm -hmm. uh, rice is not necessarily uh, a main food staple. Mm. Uh, and also um, the organizations, uh, the cooperatives of small farmers that were uh, really significant at the beginning and are still significant in the fair trade movements, um, which are located mainly in Latin America. Uh, they do not grow uh, rice as, as um, a main uh, product, coffee or, or cacao yeah. or, or other agricultural products are, are the main uh, products. And uh, so that is, I think, one of the, some of the reasons why fair trade rice has, it is not as big as yeah. it should be. A lot of the people who uh, might not have eaten rice in the past as well, they're, they're, they're tending to opt towards that now, aren't they? With people becoming more and more intolerant to wheat, isn't it? They're using it as an alternative to pasta and stuff. So it's getting more popular, if anything. That, that is what the, the market trend shows, yeah. that it is getting more popular. And as you said, it's, it's gluten-free. <laughs> so that means that uh, it is aligned with the... Uh, uh, well, a healthier uh, yeah. diet for people that have uh, problems with, with, with gluten. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, in, in, if you think about Europe, maybe there is some kind of growth of um, um, more type of uh, food, like Chinese yeah. food, Indian food, yeah. which yeah. has rice as um, a key uh, component. And Japanese Yeah, food. and people making those things mm -hmm. at home as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so how are we here at Tradecraft making a difference? in this sector? Well, so Trade ha has been involved in, in the fair trade supply chain for quite uh, a long time. Um, we um, started working uh, with uh, uh, small farmers in India uh, first, and uh, they are part of our current uh, Basmati uh, fair trade uh, supply chain. Uh, and um, mm, so the involvement uh, focused a lot in, in uh, growing, rising much more kind of uh, environmentally friendly way. Um, so how, how to deal with um, uh, fertilizers and mm. pest management and, mm. and uh, the management of, of water, which, which is a really important component for this for this product. And uh, then we, we uh, developed a new supply chain in, in uh, with small farmers in, in, in Thailand. Uh, and that was kind of uh, for two different purposes. One was because we use rising as an ingredient for some of our products, like our geo bars, yeah. and uh, and also jasmine okay. rice, which is also uh, quite a specific um, uh, kind of a special type of rice. We've got a few different rice suppliers at the moment. We're kind of fairly established in that in that sort of network and that um, product. I guess we know a little bit about what we're doing there. <laughs> so that's <laughs> a little. Well, we, we have a rice guru, we don't rice we, guru. Zenon, ah, so exactly. this is why. This is why you have this title, Zenon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that we're, um, as Tradecraft, we're on the cusp of launching Myanmar's first ever fair trade product, and it's going to be rice. And you went out to visit the rice growers uh, out there recently, so can you tell us a little bit more about your experience while you were there? Yes. Um, so if everything works uh, as planned, that, uh, <laughs> in any supply chain <laughs> development, there are always uh, unpredictable things happening. Always. always. Uh, uh, <laughs> maybe at the beginning of uh, next year, uh, we will uh, have our uh, fair trade supply chain of rice from mm -hmm. Burma organized and, and working. Uh, and uh, um, 
personally, I, I think it is it's an incredible experience because, um, um, well, we also need to think that uh, Burma, uh, now also called Myanmar, mm -hmm. uh, was until 1962 the largest exporter of rice in the world. Wow. So, uh, unfortunately, the regime that uh, took power in 1962 and that mm -hmm. more or less had been in charge since then, until uh, 2011, um, uh, changed completely the economic model in the country uh, and uh, um, the country was in a way then isolated from the rest of the yeah. world uh, and uh, uh, farmers uh, still do many of the things that they did uh, in the first part of the 20th century, yeah. in the way that they, they grow paddy. So, uh, using the uh, bulls to repair the soil uh, and uh, everything is almost done by hand mm -hmm. uh, so there is almost no, no technology used in the way that they grow paddy and uh, um, there is a lot of features about poverty in those rural communities uh, where the majority of the population in, in, in Burma lives and uh, uh, developing this um, fair trade supply chain, organizing the farmers and uh, providing them access to finance uh, and uh, to uh, also uh, new uh, mm -hmm. know-how about how to, to increase productivity. Um, uh, I think that will, will allow those farmers to start changing their lives and the lives of the communities. Oh, it sounds, it sounds so hopeful, doesn't it? It, it sounds does. Really it's such a huge change. Supply chain issues, uh, not considered. <laughs> 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 Hopefully not. Hopefully not. <laughs> it should be good. That's really interesting. So what kind of products will we be using the, the rest of the online? Is that going to be going into our G4? So is that going to be in, in anything else? Or? Yes, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, the, the, the first use that we are planning uh, for the rice that we are planning to purchase on the fair trade terms from uh, Myanmar, it is to use it as uh, an ingredient in the geobars and uh, maybe other similar products mm -hmm. um, in which so the rice flour will be an ingredient uh, mm -hmm. uh, in, in those products. I, I and that this is a personal ambition. I hope that uh, <laughs> in the medium term we will be able to buy um, uh, rice that so people in the UK then are able to uh, cook in their kitchens and uh, wow. they, there are some aromatic types of rice in, 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 in mm -hmm. Myanmar which are of excellent quality. Mm -hmm. So let's hope mm -hmm. that uh, that that can also be a reality. Mm -hmm. We can't wait to taste it. No, it's gross. We're excited for our first consignment. Yeah, curries for everyone. Well, thank you very much for that, Zenon, and hope everybody has enjoyed our rice-themed show this month. And that's about all we've got time for today. So uh, don't forget that you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Tradecraft Podcast and you'll find us. And all that's left to say is goodbye from London. Goodbye. Hasta la vista. <laughs> and goodbye from Paraguay. Goodbye. Right, goodbye.